Welcome to episode six of Sound Stories, a Seattle soccer podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Davis, and our guest this week is Don Ruiz, a former reporter for the Tacoma News Tribune who covered the Sounders from their very first season in MLS until just this year when the News Tribune announced that it was ending its full-time soccer reporter position. I, like many of my peers, consider Don to be the best reporter to have ever covered the Sounders, and he was a great example for me when I first started covering the team. We talk in this episode about the state of soccer media in the U.S., what's changed about the Sounders since they joined the league, and his favorite players to cover on the beat. Great. Thanks, Don, for coming on the show. First, uh, just tell me a little bit about your career and what what brought you as a journalist here to Seattle. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm the rare guy, really, who between... Uh, uh, right after my high, my, my senior year of high school, I just tried to think, you know, what I wanted to do with my life and picked a, picked a major before going to college and, you know, kept it for the, for the, for the four years of college. Uh, and then, uh, from, uh, graduation, uh, with journalism major until, uh, actually June of this year, uh, you know, was a, uh, an unbroken line of, of working for, uh, for newspapers, and I, I you know, loved it. It was uh, a world of fun, uh, and uh, often, you know, part of that is often mm-hmm. because it was, uh, you know, I was in the fun departments. I really had started mm-hmm. um, being uh, in in news side, which you know I think is is you know it's just what I I mm-hmm. fell into, but uh, for the last quarter century or so, uh, I was arts entertainment editor at the at the News Tribune. And then sports writer for the News Tribune. So um, those are both kind of often uh, me getting paid to do things that I, I mm-hmm. would have, in fact, paid to do. And, uh, you know, and I got, I, you know, I've, been, <laughs> I've covered games, you know, at Yankee Stadium, and yeah. Notre Dame, you know, at, uh, you know, it, it's, it's been a it's been a trip. Often I would have I would have paid them to, to, <laughs> to do the things that they sent me off to do. Yeah. What was your first uh, journalism job out of college? Oh my goodness! <laughs> you know, um, it was, I think, truly the worst paper in the history of, of journalism. Um, it, it, you know, I, I just wanted to get started, mm-hmm. like anybody, you know, and uh, so I sent off, you know, some papers. I, I grew up in New Orleans, and I wanted to stay, you know, in New Orleans or in the area. And there was a little weekly that I don't even think still exists called the the Kenner City News. Kenner is where New Orleans Airport is, mm. and. Um, they, uh, it was, it, it was, um, not a newspaper in, in any true functional sense. <laughs> I always viewed it sort of as an extravagant family newsletter, uh, for the owners. They, mm. um, they just, uh, really, um, you know, it, it, I think one of the sons of the owner, like worked at AT&T. Mm. So any AT&T press release would go into the newspaper, oh. that, that kind of thing. It was, it was a horrible <laughs> experience in many ways wow. uh and fortunately that lasted only about a month and then uh, one of the uh, more legitimate paper uh that had uh that had um that i had applied to you know called and asked if i could mm-hmm. could come and yeah. oh yes i could <laughs> and that was actually an interesting experience for, for for me at least uh in that it was uh, slidell louisiana which at the time uh, was the smallest city in the country with two competing dailies mm. so that you know we really knew i mean even in those days when newspapers were kind of booming you know we knew literally the town you know wasn't big enough for the both of us so yeah. it was really a fight you know mm. to the to the finish and that was uh that was uh you know a good place to kind of cut yeah. cut your chops uh you know early on 
And then, you know, after being happy there for a while, you know, most of us, you know, of course, want to try larger markets. So then I bounced to San Antonio mm -hmm. and then to Fort Worth uh, and then to the News Tribune in 1988. And as I say, a little bit of news, a lot of entertainment features, mm -hmm. and then finally into sports. Uh, in 1999, uh, I was doing local sports in Tacoma for a while, like the Tacoma Sabercats and, you mm -hmm. know, the, the Tacoma Rainiers, those kinds of things. Uh, and then uh, for a couple of years, um, the uh, Washington State Cougars uh, football, which was a lot of fun. I was a good luck <laughs> charm for them. They, they won uh, 10 games both of the years that I oh, got wow. them. They went to the Rose Bowl, and they uh, beat Texas in the Holiday Bowl. So, uh, however, I used <laughs> up all of my good luck then because then I got switched over to the Washington Husky beat, uh -oh. uh, and that was the last year of Keith Gilbertson and then the entire Tyrone Willingham uh, experience. Um, however, I was better luck uh, for the basketball team. That was the glory uh, first okay, run yeah. uh, with uh, Lorenzo, the uh, you know the the, the, the the Sweet 16 teams, mm -hmm. and uh, you know those teams were wonderful both in terms of uh, you know fascinating, fun to watch. Lorenzo is a tremendous uh, man to work with. Uh, they played exciting basketball. They were pretty media friendly. Uh, you know, guys like yeah. Isaiah Thomas and then Nate Robinson and John Brockman. Mm. Uh, so all of that was a lot of fun. And then in, uh, I guess, nine, in 2008, uh, I remember I was in Corvallis, Oregon, uh, going to cover Huskies, mm. uh, Beavers, and the phone rang, and it was my editor saying, um, uh, I don't know if you've heard, but MLS just announced that it's expanding to Seattle. And at that moment, before he needed to say anything else, I, I knew that I had me an MLS team because uh, mm -hmm. I was really the, the only guy at the News Tribune who, who knew, enjoyed, liked mm. soccer. So I figured okay. that they were going to ask me if I would pick that up, and uh, I did. Uh, for the first couple of years, uh, I did Sounders and hung on to, uh, to UW basketball. Okay. But ultimately, there was a little too much overlap, and uh, we wanted to go full-time with mm -hmm. a Husky beat writer for both both sports um and so then uh we really became one of the you know, relatively few papers in the country that had a full-time uh mls writer and yeah. we traveled to about a third of the road games and all of the home games and uh unfortunately for seattle sports fans for soccer fans and i think ultimately for the news tribune uh they found you know with in this economy in this mm -hmm. newspaper uh environment that that was really a luxury that they couldn't afford in in June the the parting they were very very good to me but um you know I yeah. I have to turn to the Seattle Times to to get my my <laughs> uh, you know and a lot of really good blogs and mm -hmm. and and media you know uh less mainstream media uh you know to get my soccer news uh which uh you know saddens me more than yeah. it angers me yeah and so you said that you were like kind of the only soccer guy around mm -hmm. had you covered soccer at all before I hadn't really covered it. Uh, it was when I, I took that job in San Antonio because mm. I, I had never, I had never played soccer. I never really even <laughs> thought about it. And it's one yeah. of one of my many regrets, you know, for for when I was born, you know, because I really wish soccer had been an option, uh, you know, when I was a kid. But I mean, mm -hmm. when I was a kid, um, literally, this is true. Uh, I saw about one hour of soccer every four years, and that was. You know, when the old wide world of sports mm. would show like a shortened version of the World Cup final. <laughs> wow. And that was what I saw. Yeah. So I just didn't grow up with it at all. Yeah. Um, but then when I moved to San Antonio, you know, which is like 60% mm -hmm. Hispanic city and a wonderful city, um, 
the the newspaper there instead of having like a softball team or a bowling team or mm-hmm. something they had a soccer team okay. and so i i just started as a beer league player <laughs> and uh and loved it and one of the good things about soccer yeah. is that if you're you know willing to be bad enough long enough you can play you know practically into old age certainly yeah, past yeah. middle age and so i you know i continued that for a, mm-hmm. for a good long while until you know it, my continuing to play but, yeah you know it's just in no one's interest <laughs> that's fun that's a good way to get into the sport i guess mm-hmm. just by playing mm-hmm. did you did you cover any other sports before or was the tacoma news tribune your first like sports time you know i in college i was i went to the university of southern mississippi um uh, after Jimmy Buffett, ahead of J- Brett Favre, <laughs> uh, you know, but they they were uh, you know a fun fun place to go mm-hmm. and and a nice size where I was able to you know to, I wasn't bypassed I wasn't mm-hmm. forgotten I was able to to write and and I enjoyed that a lot. My um, you know early on in like about a really about a month into my my job in in Slidell, mm-hmm. the sports editor quit you know and I was just right out of college and I asked uh, you know the editor if I if I could take over the sports writing job instead of just news or the sports editing job. And his only concern was that I didn't expect a raise. So, <laughs> but as far as what duties I did, he was perfectly happy with that. So I was, you know, a high school okay. uh, kind of, uh, yeah. you know, uh, sports editing, you know, where we did mostly high school mm-hmm. stuff. And, and for a while, you know, I kind of found um, in that, that a lot of times it's easier to be a sports fan if you don't know the athletes, you know, s- some of them, can it's the whole mm-hmm. be careful about meeting your heroes kind of thing and uh you know some of them are, are truly great guys i mean many yeah. of the best people i've i know you know i met you know through mm-hmm. sports i mean truly admirable guys i mean john brockman lorenzo romar siggy schmidt also uh you know jake locker these mm-hmm. are, are all people that i would have been happy to have as my father my brother my son <laughs> but uh you know some you yeah. know some less so you know like any any group of people in any industry yeah um and so, uh, yeah, it just you know you can you can either strike gold by having your 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 you know what you enjoy doing as a hobby sort of or as a diversion yeah. as your work, or it can turn out where it kind of sours both a little bit. Yeah. So for a time, you know, early on, I found that mm-hmm. that it was just better just for sports to be my diversion rather than my yeah. my livelihood. Uh, however, uh, you know, I think by the time I got back into it, mm-hmm. um, you know, well into the middle of, of my career and I had been, a, you know, working just office jobs and mm-hmm. stuff before that. I mean, I was an editor, so I was almost yeah. always in the office. I was doing other people's work. You know, I was trying to improve other people's mm-hmm. work, inspire other people to do good work. But, you know, it just felt like a good time to, yeah. A, you know, be judged on my own work and not worry about other people. And B, uh, to get out of the office and just, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, writing is, is actually quite fun. Yeah. So to write sports is actually, you know, doubly quite fun. Yeah. And uh, and so yeah, I I think it's probably a good thing that I didn't do it nonstop forever. You know, I mm-hmm. had a, a safe little midlife crisis. I managed to change things in my forties, uh, you know, while still staying within the industry that I love. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I thought uh, maybe the best of both worlds. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. It's it's been a, an interesting experience for me, like mm-hmm. um, getting you know getting into soccer in a whole different way as a job as opposed to just being a fan has been pretty mm-hmm. interesting and uh, I won't say anything about about Sounders players now but I know mm-hmm. that when, when the Copa America was here and you know they is a very different experience covering that and going down and trying to interview the players mm-hmm. was not not like just going in the locker room at CenturyLink mm-hmm. it was uh, you know the whole maze was set up and yep. you know players some are nice the younger guys are very nice uh, but I tried to go up to Michael Bradley captain of the U.S. and I just wanted to hear about Seattle and he just he didn't look at me. He just looked at the PR 
guy and said, do I have to answer that question? And I was like, oh, that's kind of a bummer. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. so sometimes it's good. Sometimes it can it can feel a little like, oh, I used to love this this player mm-hmm. or I used to enjoy like, you know, kind of thinking that this guy must seem so fun and like we'd yeah. have a great conversation yeah. and then you actually kind of have one and it's not great. But actually, um, my best example of that mm-hmm. was back when I was in college, the first famous people that I ever interviewed, you know, uh, and I was, I was at Pearl River Junior College, so I'm in a tiny little newspaper. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it was the first time I had a, a press credential, you know, and I yeah. thought I, I might be able to put this to use. And I had grown up uh, a big Motown fan, you know, these mm-hmm. were the 60s, well, you know. Yeah. And uh, I was particularly a Four Tops fan. And uh, they were coming to New Orleans. So I figured, hey, I've got yeah. a press credential, maybe <laughs> I can go interview the Four Tops. And so I made the arrangements, and they agreed. And so I remember I pulled up to like this nightclub where they were going to perform that night and they were going to talk to me before the performance. And I thought, uh oh, <laughs> you know what? You know, these guys have been heroes to me, you know, for a decade. Mm-hmm. I have all of their records and, you know, I can do them no good. You know, I'm not going to sell them five yeah. records and they have gold records. You know, they could wallpaper mm-hmm. the room with the number of gold records that they have. So, you know, this is fun for me, but, um, you know, it's nothing for them. They've done this a billion times. And, you know, what if, what if they're mean to me? You know, will I ever be able to, <laughs> yeah. you know, listen to their music in quite the same way, mm-hmm. even if I would understand why they might be at least, you know, dismissive of me. So, but I went in and it is one of those cases where your heroes exceed your expectations. Yeah. They're insanely That's kind and good and funny. And if one of them had to get dressed in the locker room, he'd make sure of walking or not the locker room, but the, the dressing room, mm-hmm. they would cha- they would walk me over to one of the other tops <laughs> and make, you know, so that I wouldn't ever, you know, be just alone. And they all spoke to me. They were all thoughtful. They were all funny. It was like the first time they'd ever given interviews. It was just great. I've adored the four tops ever since, although yeah. at least three of them are no longer with us. Yeah. That's great. And it's, mm-hmm. I'm sure it's a good experience as a young journalist. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the kind of thing that might keep you in it for, <laughs> yes, for exactly. the rest of your life. Um, but so transitioning to, I mean, you, you went from just kind of news to doing arts and that was, you said that was more of a desk job, the mm-hmm. arts and entertainment. And then, you know, going back into the field as, as it were, what was the experience of more or less being in on the ground floor of something that's now a very big deal, both in Seattle and the country? Like you were probably one of two or three people mm-hmm. that, you know, was there from the beginning mm-hmm. and got in there. What was it like? As it was, it kind of hectic. Was it chaotic seeing the everything come together? It was. It was one of those things that maybe in retrospect is even a little more amazing, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, I we uh, assumed, I think, when when I was given the job, uh, that what we would, you know, we thought much like, frankly, even the Sounders thought, Adrian thought, Joe Roth thought mm-hmm. that they would probably average about what an MLS average. So they were really okay. expecting something like 18,000 fans or, or something like that per game. And so that's a, you know, that's a significant number, but we figured uh, that, you know, as I mentioned, they let me go ahead and keep Husky basketball. And partly it was mm-hmm. with the thought that our Sounders coverage would sort of be, you know, go to a couple of practices during yeah. the week, maybe write a midweek feature, preview the game, mm-hmm. cover the home games, and that's what you get for eighteen thousand. You know, a game over. You yeah. Know, uh, you know, and even that is is you know that's what a lot of MLS cities do, or mm-hmm. or even more. Yeah. And then, you know, suddenly, we noticed uh, that there was sort of this 
surprising mm-hmm. uh, welcome. And then you're a little, because it's happening so close to you and sort of mm-hmm. playing out every day, you know, you almost need a little distance to realize that truly one of the amazing and still to some degree inexplicable success stories in American sports history, mm-hmm. yep. that's not an overstatement, is you know, played out in Seattle, where yeah. suddenly, now, the second mm-hmm. most attended soccer team in the hemisphere yeah. is Seattle Sounders FC. So, um, you know, so we had to adjust our coverage yeah. accordingly. You know, a lot of times when I was arts editor, these little theater companies mm-hmm. would say, oh, if you gave us more coverage, you know, more people would come to our place. And we still hear that, you know, sometimes with the, with the Rainiers, we hear that yeah. sometimes, you know, with the, with the rain, um, you know, but while to a layman, <laughs> there's some sort of chicken and egg question, yeah. newspapers have answered that question. Um, what has to come first is reader interest. Newspapers go out of business when they tell people what they ought to be interested mm-hmm. in. Uh, newspapers also go out of business, you know, in all circumstances yeah. these days. Uh, but um, but they help themselves along mm-hmm. when they don't cover what readers de- demonstrate an interest in. Therefore, it was not the media covering the Sounders mm-hmm. that made the Sounders popular. The, the media noticed the popularity and tried to, to serve yeah. that band of fans. And I think... Um, it's uh, impressive and fascinating. You know, uh, even, even that first year, it was hard mm-hmm. to believe it. And the second year and the third year, the question kept coming, can this be sustainable? Yeah. Um, I think I even asked, uh, well, I know I asked uh, Don Garber in like the first or second year, you know, can this possibly continue? Can you have one franchise drawing basically twice the league average? Mm-hmm. He kind of rightly pointed to... Manchester United, which, mm-hmm. you know, was drawing about twice, you know, what yeah. the Premier League average was. But while making that point, he also sort of conceded the bigger point that, no, it, it's, it's doubtful, you know, that, that mm-hmm. either the league attendance goes up or the odds could be that Seattle regresses yeah. back to the, to the group. Mm. And um, the Sounders have certainly done, you know, they've grown and grown and grown and grown. Yeah. Um, However, it appears this will be the second year that they do not grow on, on their previous attendance. Mm-hmm. And it's also the first year that they've kind of asked their fans to, to suffer along with, with them for a year that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, despite, you know, may yet have a happy ending. But it has yeah. been a, a little bit of a tough year and you've sort of seen it, you know, tickets distributed, notwithstanding anybody who who was there two mm-hmm. years ago and three years ago and four years ago realizes you know the crowd for Portland was not as big the crowd you know they're simply mm-hmm. more empty seats uh, both in the season ticket area in the Hawks nest um, there's a little bit of a wobble it feels like where um, where fans are uh, reassessing their relationship with the with the team and it will yeah. be very it's gonna be fascinating as the end of the season is going to be it's going to be a fascinating off season yeah in and- even though there are fewer seats, maybe especially you know some of these big games, it's more noticeable. But it's still something that nearly every team in the league oh. would be, you know, so happy to have. Yeah. Oh yeah. Not which nearly. is Ever. just wild. And and did that when when you realized that and you had to adjust your coverage, was that before any game ever took place, or was that after a few 
the games when you actually saw the attendance? I think it was before. Okay. Um, uh, what one of the odd little frustrations with me was, I mean, I think out of the, you know, however many games they play per year times the eight years that I covered the team, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I missed maybe three or four games over those years. Uh, but one that I missed was the first one. I was I was not there for the uh, for the inaugural game. I was uh, the Huskies basketball team okay. was playing down in Portland. I think they were playing Mississippi State. They you know they were they were in the uh, first round of the NCAA tournament. So I missed uh, opening day, which I'm always frustrated by. But I saw that score and that was fascinating. But by then, yes, by then they had attendance that exceeded anything that we expected. Mm-hmm. It did not exceed what was yet to come. It was really just the the springboard. Yeah. But still. Uh, what we knew we had right from, you know, before they ever played the first game was a, a success story in the way that MLS had, had really just not had or, or certainly yeah. had not sustained. I mean, I know that I think the opening year, maybe the, mm-hmm. the I think the, the Galaxy had some great attendance, you know, helped along yeah. by like a 60,000 opener at the Rose Bowl or something mm-hmm. like that, or maybe even more than that. But uh, but in any case, mm-hmm. um as an ongoing concern, it was just obvious that this city, this region, was mm-hmm. relating to its team in a, in a way that was unprecedented in in, uh, yeah. in United States soccer. What do you think is, uh, you know, I've asked a lot of people about this, and I, I think people have a lot of theories, but why why has soccer taken such a hold in the Pacific Northwest? To your to your opinion, like is it um, is it something that can be explained? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Uh, I've taken my shot. I mean, I, I've written a story or two on that. Yeah. I think that I mean, it's interesting the way that you word the question. Yeah. Because you you don't say Seattle, you say Pacific yeah. Northwest. Um, I would say this on Seattle specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I think they lucked out. Yeah. I, I think if they could have given birth to this franchise in the way that they wanted to. Mm-hmm they would have had a soccer-specific stadium of 20,000 out in the suburbs. Yep. And this is the classic, uh, you know, the country song about, you know, thank heaven for unanswered prayers. <laughs> because I think they absolutely uh, stumbled into the success formula. Yeah. You know, at the time that this team was born, the ticket for the success formula for MLS was a soccer-specific stadium that you had yeah. control of. These days, that is not the case. These days, even more important than that, is a downtown stadium convenient to eating and drinking mm-hmm. and the whole supporter experience. Mm-hmm. And poor, stuck franchises that were the early adapters like the Colorado Rapids and the the uh, FC Dallas are, I think, yeah. doomed. Yeah. Um, so uh, I know a lot of people <laughs> say that the departure of of the sound of the Sonics was relevant. I'm sure it didn't hurt them. I've been a little bit more dubious when I'm asked if I have to pick one thing in addition to the accident of the location, although it's related to that. uh, I think it was uh, the association with the Seahawks. Okay. That is a tremendous big brother to have in this neighborhood. And I remember, you know, watching a Seahawks game uh, on TV and they showed the scoreboard, and there was the ad. Get your season tickets for Seattle Sounders FC. Okay. And uh, I think that really helped legitimize them as a, as a major league sport, hmm. and, which was not a given you know, with soccer yeah. at that time. And um, plus, 
uh, because they sort of had the shared offices with the with the Seahawks. They ran their public relations. They yep. uh, like uh, a major league, like m- more like a, an NFL team yeah. than like most MLS teams, which are distinctly, you know, a level down yeah. from you know N- NBA and and you know the other mm-hmm. true especially at major the time. league teams, especially at the time. So, um, so I think that those, those two items, basically the existence of Mm -hmm. Paul Allen, if, if I had to answer it in two words, Mm -hmm. uh, is what really gave these guys a huge boost. And I'm still wondering, uh, you know, what the ultimate legacy of, of the Mm -hmm. ending of that association is, is going to, to look like a decade from now. Yeah. That's been, uh, one of those topics this year that's kind of been, I wouldn't say I, I've seen a lot of people, you know, writing hot takes about it or anything. Mm-hmm. It's been kind of bubbling below the surface. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. People have been talking about that, um, especially in terms of uh, the professionalism of just the the whole organization and how some decisions are made that people have a problem mm-hmm. with and, and stuff that maybe had it been vetted a little mm-hmm. more, you mm-hmm. know, in that association maybe. But it's, it's, it's not something I think has affected the team in a huge way right now. Mm-hmm. But like you're saying, I think a lot of people are worried about the long-term implications. Mm-hmm. But um, so in, in another sense, what do you think was different about Seattle soccer media? Like the Seattle media is different. It's already, you know, for Seahawks, for the Mariners, you know, I know the press box is, you know, packed to the rafters mm-hmm. with people and stuff. Mm-hmm. But the Sounders still have a lot. Being down in Vancouver a couple weeks ago, uh, there were three or four of us from Seattle and there were maybe a handful of, of Vancouver mm-hmm. media, still not that many mm-hmm. um, compared to how we have here. What do you think uh, makes it so that there are enough people that are interested? I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, you've seen people come and go. You've mm-hmm. seen the News Tribune mm-hmm. kind of, you know, wane their coverage down as well. Mm-hmm. But there's still a lot of interest sure, from media here. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. And I mean, I think that might be, I mean, uh, that kind of goes back to the question you asked, you know, not just about Seattle, but about the, the Northwest. Yeah. And, um, while, uh, you know, let me just quickly make a point on mm-hmm. that, which I, and then I'll try and, and double it back. But, um, you know, the whole Soccer City USA thing, <laughs> uh, I think is a little bit of a myth uh, because I think what you've really got, and, and you know, they, they, uh, it's a shame that I took the bullet, you know, at the News Tribune because I wanted to write this mm-hmm. this year, um, uh, you know, to try and study it and try and figure it out a little bit. Uh, I think Seattle without any question at all is MLS City USA, mm-hmm. but not Soccer City USA. This is okay. not a great city for women's soccer. Mm-hmm. It's not an exceptional city for international soccer or the national soccer team. I don't mm-hmm. think it's, I don't have numbers, but I don't yeah. get the impression it's an exceptional city. It's an exceptional city, it seems, for college soccer talent, but I'm not so sure necessarily for soccer okay. uh, attendance. I would need to, to figure that. Uh, you look south, and Portland is women's soccer city USA. Definitely, but they are not soccer city USA. They mm-hmm. need to get back with me when they start yeah. drawing an extra twenty thousand fans for their for mm-hmm. their MLS team, and um, and then you've got Vancouver, which sort of has the legend of having been a t- really good MLS mm-hmm. or not MLS, but NASL city. Okay, yeah. Yet presently either lacks the confidence or the fans to open their upper deck 
yeah. even for Cascadia matches. I was surprised to see that too, actually. I will never understand. Yeah, it was it was pretty full, but then they had that upper deck closed, mm-hmm. which I thought if they if it's only them and the Canadian Football League here, like who who's going to fill those top rafters <laughs> if they're not going to? <laughs> no, I can't. I I really don't understand no. it. I I mean the the little bit of the the shorthand explanation that I've heard is that they want to breed uh, scarcity. You know, they don't want people to think, oh, they'll open the full stadium for the important game, so I won't buy season tickets. I'll just buy tickets when the Sounders show up or okay. when or when the Timbers show up or, or when like, maybe Toronto FC mm-hmm. shows up in Montreal. But, um, you know, that... Well, I've never owned a soccer team. Maybe it makes <laughs> yeah. perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, you know, as a layman, mm-hmm. it seems... Uh, cautious mm-hmm. and uh, and disappointing, yeah. and uh, I, you know, and I'm not sure why, um, you know, why that franchise mm-hmm. is drawing say 20 when it strikes me in a comfortable, renovated, mm-hmm. urban roof stadium, yeah. retractable roof beautiful stadium, stadium, beautiful sure. stadium, right off you know mass transit. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not understand why mm-hmm. that isn't a gold mine. Yeah. But the the you know the the best thing in the world that's ever happened to me is is that I don't have enough money to really get myself in trouble, <laughs> yeah. because I I would in, have invested mm-hmm. in in the Whitecaps. I would have invested in uh, the Dynamo. I thought mm-hmm. the Dynamo with a good stadium would just be a juggernaut in this league, and and there they sit. Yeah. And uh, so I, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I can kind of see what's happening in retrospect, but every time I try to predict the future, I get. My tail in a crack. Yeah, and and trying to predict the the habits of American sports fans, which are not even <laughs> soccer fans, but American mm-hmm. sports fans is definitely not a sure bet by <laughs> any means. But no, that's uh, that's interesting. I think soccer um, in all three cities, as well as everything that surrounds it, you know, there's MLS, there's college, and all that. Each of the Cascadia city, main Cascadia cities, has their has their like important or their like bold part of soccer for that city but they none of them have all of it you know mm-hmm. it's an it's an interesting conundrum and it's probably part of why there's the rivalry there is like everybody kind of is they're joined together but also against each other you mm-hmm. know it's you know seattle wishes you know seattle soccer fans i think wish that the women's soccer was a bigger deal but i'm sure down in portland they wish they had a bit of a more college soccer town that they were bringing in more talent you know we have you have great games for seattle u or u-dub can't say as much about colleges in Portland, Portland area and stuff, but, um, but again, yeah, I think Seattle's done a good job trying to trying to get as much for all that, you know, for all those things to join together. They've tried with the rain and all that, but, but thinking specifically about the Sounders and your time covering the mm-hmm. Sounders, um, you you saw the the highs and the lows for up until now, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically, you know, you, for the very since the very beginning. What are the stories that stand out to you? What's a story that really means a lot to you, um, whether an interaction, a match, anything like that? Yeah, well, a lot of it actually, the one that I tell the most, because I think it sort of matters in a way, it was very much like what, we, what we've been you know, talking about. It's mm-hmm. sort of the, the relationship of the city to the fans with uh, the media, sort of as, as the middle uh, men and women. Um, uh, and, and that was uh, specifically, um, I remember one day, uh, first year, uh, I was uh, walking off the pitch after practice at Starfire uh, with Freddie Lundberg. 
who I actually liked a lot. I thought I thought you know Freddie Lundberg mm-hmm. was a was a was a pretty good guy. Right. Uh, you know, not everybody shares that, but I mean, as as I always say, if 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 I were that talented, that rich, and that good looking, I'd be a lot harder to live with too. <laughs> so um, anyway, he uh, you know there was some. We didn't get much one-on-one access. We still mm-hmm. don't, frankly, with a lot of yeah. uh, a lot of the players. But um, in that particular day, I guess I had a special something. So I was talking to him, uh, and we kind of finished with the question. So we were just talking as we walked me to my car and him to the locker room. And he pointed at some outbuilding, uh, like a little, I don't know what it is, an electrical building or, or something, uh, where maybe where they keep the lawnmowers or something, a small building, probably 200 yards from where we were standing. And he pointed to that. And he said, in England, that's as close as we ever get to the media. The media has its own little room, and it's that far away, and we just don't have to deal with them. Hmm. And I thought about that a little bit. And um, as you alluded to earlier, a lot of the the internationals, they don't really have press conferences. They have uh, what you alluded to earlier called the the mixed zone which is basically uh, you know, these police barricades <laughs> running down the hallway. The players get to walk on one side of them. The media is kind of on the other side. We get yeah. to <laughs> shout out our questions. And if they you know, are willing to uh, speak to us, they, mm-hmm. they stop. Otherwise, they just go to their car. They point at their watch and shake their heads. Oh, mm-hmm. so sadly, I'd like to, <laughs> but I can't. Uh, so in any case, uh, the fact that so many uh, Sounders you know, come from a you know, either college programs where, you know, it was such an off sport that they weren't really used to a lot of media coverage or international soccer where they also, for different reasons, weren't used to a lot of coverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've been amazed, you know, and I think it's also part of the configuration of, of why the, soccer, the Sounders have been so popular is because they they really have been very media friendly. And especially yeah. I give extra credit to, to people like Lundberg and the rest who, who you know, had to adapt, you know, had to change in mid-career, you know, their expectations of, of dealing with us. And they've been pretty generous with their time. Uh, The, um, the um, American uh, soccer players, I think, also understand, uh, unlike, say, maybe, I mean, actually, the, you know, I've covered various sports. I've been Mm -hmm. in the, the Mariners locker room a lot. I've been in the Seahawks locker room a lot. For the most part, for young millionaires who really don't need us, they're they're pretty accommodating. Yeah, the 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 jerks are, are few and far between. Um, but um, soccer players, I think, take it a couple of levels beyond that. I think they understand in a way that we can help them. In that media can help them at this moment of of the the sport mm-hmm. where publicity. Is, is a good thing for soccer in a way that maybe baseball players don't need yeah. to consider, uh, you know, the overall health mm-hmm. of the sport. It's healthy. Uh, same thing with the NBA. Same thing, you know, times 10 with the NFL. So I think these guys view it a little bit as an obligation to not only to the sport, but to the generation of soccer players behind them to make sure this league does not go the mm-hmm. way of the Na- North American Soccer League and, and others. So I think they take it as a good res- as a responsibility. And and one of the good things also beyond about that is I find soccer players to be exceptionally smart and interesting people. Yeah. So it's really good that they do share it with us because mm-hmm. they, you know, you know, obviously as media, we sort of promote the team, even if that's not mm-hmm. 
how we self-define it. Yeah. But it's easy to do that with these guys because, you know, they are interesting. Almost, mm-hmm. you know, most of them have gone to college or have lived abroad. They have their interesting stories. They care about the sport. It's a little bit, you still get a little bit of the, you know, for better or worse, this, this sort of cult feeling. You know, you're, if you're a soccer fan and you meet a soccer fan, you know, you've, you know, you're in the club. Yeah. And I think the players appreciate, you know, that, mm-hmm. uh, that the people who care about soccer, you know, are the guys who get it. Mm-hmm. And I think they try to take care of them as well. So we certainly great on them. They certainly have <laughs> enough of us on yeah. certain moments. We certainly have to ask the difficult questions sometimes afterwards. And it's amazing how often and how, how gracious uh, they are, including just an unbroken string of, of amazingly media-friendly uh, goalkeepers here because uh, yeah. Casey Keller was tremendous. Mm-hmm. Michael Sperning, one of the nicest guys I think that the team has ever had. And Stefan Fry has really grown uh, not only into the, to the role of, of you know, first-class keeper, but also first-class spokesman for the team, mm-hmm. uh, willing to talk candidly when he's messed up willing to uh, talk candidly when the guys in front of him have messed mm-hmm. up. Yeah, he's been one of the few that they seem to turn to uh, in the locker room after a loss uh, to have media talk to because, you know, m- too many of the other players are too grumpy <laughs> and yes. to talk, so they'll you know, stick Stefan Fry kind of front and center <laughs> to talk to because he's, even if he's not mm-hmm. positive, he's he's going to be mm-hmm. honest, he's going to be nice. You know, I mm-hmm. had him on last week here, and he he was very complimentary about the media here he's very complimentary about just the fans and just everybody in different aspects giving him the space but also like you know allowing him to, to speak his mind and but not pushing him too hard like mm-hmm. he's very complimentary about it and he was also very good about telling stories and mm-hmm. things like that he's just been one that's that stood out to me too mm-hmm. are there any american players you mentioned they're some of the better ones because they're have that connection are there any specific players um you know that were born in the U.S., that are passionate about U.S. soccer that stand out to you? You know, maybe uh, one that, uh, you know, I mean, truly the, you know, one of the hardest stories that I ever had was, was I mean, Steve Zakawani. Mm-hmm. I mean, that should have been just such a great story. I mean, if, if you know, if, if you had the alternative universe, yeah. I mean, wouldn't you love to see how that story played out absent you know, mm-hmm. just an absolute moment of insanity in in Colorado. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, he was really a good guy. He, you know, was really going to be this, you know, American soccer success story. He, you know, for so much of last year and this year was exactly the player that, that the Sounders needed. I mean, you have Oba and Dempsey in the middle, and you have that guy coming down the side, uh, you know, deal with that MLS defense. Yeah. So, I mean, that just would have been so wonderful. You'd have been in his prime, really. That's, exactly. <laughs> and then, you know, talent aside, he is such mm-hmm. a thoughtful, kind man who dealt with yeah. that adversity in a way that I could not have dreamed. I mean, on my best day, I don't pretend I could have dealt with it with that kind of class. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so Zakawani, you know, first of all, uh, I covered several games in Colorado. Unfortunately, I, did, I was not, well, for better or worse, I was not at that one, mm-hmm. but that, uh, was, uh, you know, as heartbreaking, a, a sports story, yeah. um, as, uh, you know, as, as I've had mm-hmm. to deal with personally and, and, you know, right. I mean, and, and, you know, we loved, um, 
you know, his charting, his comeback. Yeah. Okay. And it's a good narrative. And and you got it, but you know, Steve Zakovani made it back yeah. onto the pitch, and that's its yeah. own little form of of success. Mm -hmm. But the idea of him raising an MLS Cup, making another you know national team or mm -hmm. or any of that kind of stuff, you know, which all could have happened. Yeah. Uh, you know, he he dealt with giving that up with great grace. And I tell you, I think he's a terrific broadcaster. I think yeah. he's a terrific analyst. Yeah, he does a great job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he uh, he he's been good about finding finding a great career afterwards mm -hmm. he's done a lot of great for that you know he had his book his foundation mm -hmm. his charity matches a lot of that has been great um yeah are there are there any matches stand out to you from your your years you know i i can't believe i stayed in journalism as long as i have because <laughs> i i have no memory at all it's hard uh, to remember they, they kind of run together they do kind <laughs> of run together um uh, i mean finally i guess ousting uh the galaxy, you know, getting past that in the playoffs, mm -hmm. you know, last year was was a big one. I certainly would have said that, you know, that first win must have been a big one. Um, the, you know, for completely different reasons, the Open Cup loss to Portland will yeah. not ever. Yeah. Let, I mean, that one even I can remember. I'll never forget that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, I think maybe the one. The one of all of them was I did travel the first year to um, to the the playoffs. Well, we went every year to the playoffs, but the uh, the first season going to Houston, okay. and that game, you know, that season was just so magical. You know, they they got you know that was the attendance success. There was the on field success. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, at this point, you know, you you're kind of used to the Sounders being successful, and you're used to them being these little prodigy whiz kids, you know, who, mm -hmm. who were good from the start, you know, but at the time, you know, this was unprecedented. I mean, MLS expansion teams had really paid their dues, uh, ex you know, with the exception of Chicago fire, which was such a, an exception in a variety of ways, mm -hmm. but you know, the, the others, you know, I mean, Toronto, you know, uh, you know, paid its dues as RSL paid its dues. Um, you know, you, that was the expectation. So suddenly to have this team really catch on on the field and off, uh, you know, and just be this magical ride for that unendingly mm -hmm. long MLS season. Yep. And then to make the playoffs and then, you know, to to be you know, genuinely close enough to the top where, you know, you could actually see the Hollywood mm -hmm. ending. You know, this really could. You know, what would yep. that be like? You know, imagine and of course, that MLS Cup was was in Seattle. Yeah. So the even even worse. <laughs> could not get there yet. <laughs> That's right. So you could just see, mm. you know, how the storybook was supposed to end, and then for them to go to Houston, uh, even I think, and then play. I think it was a scoreless ninety minutes, and then into overtime. You know, and it's just just sitting mm -hmm. there where it's that close and then suddenly the ball gets past Keller and you're behind and you're just thinking, wait a minute, this is really <laughs> not the way the script felt. Yeah. And then uh, you know, the the they had another chance, I think, and then it never quite happened. And suddenly, you know, you're sort of sitting in the locker room and you're thinking, I'm about to go right yeah. the end. You know, that yeah. I that I just saw the last sound mm -hmm. story of the Sounders magical first season. 
And so to go into the locker room and have to be dealing with the, you know, how does it mm-hmm. feel kind of questions in that way. And, and uh, you know, they were, uh, you know, we, it was our first time to kind of get the feel for mm-hmm. the comings and goings of MLS. So we didn't know which players would be back, which players might, you know, were, were so good that they would leave, which players, mm-hmm. you know, normally you just, you know, yeah, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah. You know um, so you didn't really know who you were saying goodbye to, you know. Yeah. And it's always, as I'm sure you've noticed, a weird little sort of personal, sort of business relationship between players. But still, yeah. that last locker room and, you know, and, and so forth is, uh, you know, is a, you know, it's a, it's a goodbye for somebody that you've, yeah. you know, seen. I mean, as, you know, I see the Sounders. I see the fellow journalists far more than I see anybody with a News Tribune Mm-hmm. business card you know you guys yeah. and they you know to are, are my day-to-day <laughs> water cooler yeah. guys i chatted with yeah <laughs> so uh so it, it's yeah. a weird odd little thing and then going mm-hmm. back up to the locker room and writing the what do you know <laughs> it ended yeah. this isn't the story yeah. i was planning to write yeah you. so that i think is my most memorable mm-hmm. uh sounders game although for it being such a, mm-hmm. a happy eight seasons yeah. it's uh it's the down one it's the it's the yeah. tragedies maybe that stick with you more than the others yeah well and those were all new experiences mm-hmm. like like you said like that it stands out because you just probably just stared at the paper like <laughs> so wait <laughs> what, what is this going to be about now <laughs> no that's that's good because you know and that you you remember the highs but like the highs especially for the team for the fans mm-hmm. for the people covering it the highs are so much more interesting and mm-hmm. in storybook because the lows are just like dragging you down mm-hmm. that whole time. And I know that even this season, like when they've turned things around, it seems that much more just important and mm-hmm. fun and exciting because they were so abysmal, yep. you know, for the for the first few months. Mm-hmm. And it was just it was the same thing I spent. I'd sit in the press box after the game and just be like, I I don't know what to say anymore, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And now it's like you're trying, you have too many things that you mm-hmm. want to write about, and you're like, oh, well, I need to focus on this, I need to focus on this, because <laughs> so many good things are happening. But I only know that because there's so many bad things earlier, and it's completely shifted <laughs> on the scale. But Well, you know, I mean, the, um, the, the tragic thing, of course, is, uh, you know, um, while, uh, you know, the turning point of the season was uh, – you know, partly, uh, you know, Ziggy's departure, Schmetz's arrival, mm-hmm. and and the, the 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 DP signing. Uh, it was also my departure, so yeah. <laughs> I only got the bad part of the season. Yeah, yeah that's uh, that was unfortunate too. You had you had the the weird arc yes. uh, from that beginning of the season without the, the yep. going back up. But yeah, no, that's that's unfortunate too. <laughs> Well, this has been great. Uh, thanks, Don. I really appreciate it. These are some great stories, and I love any insight into the early days of the Sounders and the the media coverage around the Sounders at that time. So I, I really appreciate those stories. Oh, well, thanks uh, yep. for having me. I mean, it is a cool little little sacred club, those of us yep. who are serving the soccer fans around here, and it, it, it was an honor to do it as long as I did, and uh, absolute uh, respect to those of you who are carrying on with the job. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Don. One of the, one of the greatest... Uh, in Seattle soccer coverage right here, and we appreciate having him. Thank you. I'm Spencer Davis, and thanks for listening to Episode 6 of Sound Stories, a Seattle soccer podcast. Special thanks to Don Ruiz, as well as 710 ESPN Seattle. To be sure not to miss future episodes, subscribe to us on iTunes or Google Play and catch all of my Seattle Sounders coverage on 710sports.com.